I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we are here this morning and not stuck at home, all right? Uh, We have power, we have roads that are pretty good and ready to go, so um, I was driving in about 6.30 this morning, and uh, it was raining so hard, and I was so thankful for the rain. Because that meant if there was any ice, it was getting gone, right? And so, just so thankful that we got to worship already this morning, our 10 o'clock service, and get to do that again today um, in this service. Last Sunday, we, we left you at a place that I want to make sure we, you realize it's not just a Sunday message, but it is a, a year-long, really a lifelong message. And it was laying upon you the idea of this, who in your life, Do you desire, who has God placed in your heart that they would grow in a relationship with Jesus? Who is it? Who's that one person? Not a dozen. You may have a dozen, but I'm not asking for a dozen. I'm just asking for one. Who is that person that you would desire for them to follow Jesus? Now, every person around us, everybody in this room has followed somebody. You have been a disciple of something or someone. So as I was getting ready for this morning and get ready for this week, I thought, how do we encompass, how do we bring all of us for the month of January on the same page of leading and being committed and compassionately praying for someone in our lives to give their life to Jesus Christ? What that's called in scripture is being a disciple maker. Now, I didn't come up with that term. I didn't come with that, come up with that idea. Really what I commissioned you with last week was what Jesus commissioned all of us as followers of Jesus. So here's the reality. If you believe that Jesus Christ is what we just sang about, if you believe that he lived, died as a payment for your sins, was raised to new life, and you've confessed your sins and given your life to Jesus, then you have signed on to be a disciple maker for Jesus. Every one of us. Well, now, Pastor, I wasn't, I'm not real sure about all that. No, you, you did, all right? Whether maybe somebody didn't tell you that or not, but you signed on to say, I will do what they have done in Scripture, and I'll make disciples. And so as I was thinking about that, I thought, man, there are, and I did. I bet I read a hundred definitions about what a disciple is. So I want to make it really simple for us for this month um, so that we're on the same page. You may come with a couple different ideas of what a disciple is. I want to make it super simple for us, and it is this. A disciple is someone who is learning to become more like Jesus. A disciple is someone who is learning to become more like Jesus. Can you say that with me? A disciple is someone who is learning to become more like Jesus. Now, we could take out the word Jesus, and people are being made disciples of lots of things every day. You probably followed someone that led you, that trained you to be and learn something in life. Now, I'll use my dad, for example. My dad um, is an entrepreneur. My dad has done anything and everything you could possibly imagine. And part of that means that I've got to see over the last 47 years, I've got to walk in a lot of places, do a lot of crazy things. Uh, I, I, I have, my dad, he used to travel a lot. I, I used to go with him to work and, and I used to pressure wash cranes. I don't know. Yeah, we did that. Um, I, I, I learned I was, anybody in this room ever been to a Western Steer? I'm dating you, all right, if you raise your hand. 
all right? You're probably over 30, all right? If you've been to a Western Steer, uh, my dad was a, a part in Western Steer and traveled a lot for them, and so I learned how to make the rolls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know how to make the rolls. I don't know how to do it anymore, but I did know how to make the rolls. And so I would travel with him, and I'd make the rolls. Um, that was one of the experiences that I had. I learned. I watched him do that. I learned how to scrub industrial floors. I'm not sure when that else will come in handy at some point in life. Uh, I have mopped a lot of floors. I've washed a lot of dishes. Uh, I, I will acknowledge this in front of our church. This came up in a small group environment one time. I have been dumpster diving. Some of you are like, what's that? All right. That's when, in my case, my father saw something of value in the dumpster and told me to go get it, all right? And a warehouse had been emptied out. There was all these telephones. He said, go get them. And so I went in and I dumpster dove, all right? I got all the telephones out. I traveled countless miles. When I was in high school and middle school, my summers, a lot of those times, I would just spend traveling with my dad. And a lot of times it was just he and I. And I would go with him to restaurants, and I would fall asleep in booths of restaurants late at night waiting for my dad to get off work waiting for him to be done with those things. So those are some things that I've watched that I've learned, but I've also learned some habits from my dad, all right? Good ones and bad ones. We'll stay mostly on the good ones, all right? Because he might listen to this later on. I don't mind talking to a stranger even if they don't want to talk, all right? I am good with that. It doesn't phase me. It doesn't bother me. And I learned that from watching my dad. I learned that from going different places and seeing that and experiencing that. I also learned something that I'm trying to curb in life. I, I learned to call every female waitress or waiter, server, sweetheart. Do you know some people don't like to be called sweetheart anymore? So I'm trying to curb that habit, all right? I'm trying to change the vocabulary. I'm not doing very well. My kids would tell you I don't do very good at that one, but, but I am trying. Uh, I love to go on vacation with my family because that's what my family, that's the example that I was set. I do not know how to work on cards. My dad, the habit he taught me was take it to the shop, all right? That's the habit that I continue because I learned it from someone. I watched someone. Attending church for me was not optional. My dad's not a pastor, contrary to popular belief, wasn't a pastor. And, and, and so we learned, we, we were at church, it's what we did, it's who we were. We learned the importance of God's word, the authority of God's word. I also learned to be pretty stubborn at times. No amens, all right? Learn to be pretty stubborn at times. Now, I know it's not Father's Day. And I know some of you, man, I, I wish my dad took me to these places. Or these, this, it's not about that. I share that with you is because... I learned a lot of traits and skills in life because my father allowed me to come alongside of him and learn them. You likewise have a coach, a teacher, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a business partner, somebody who verbally or non-verbally has said, hey, why don't you watch what I'm doing? It may be somebody that you, they don't even know that you're watching. I'm going to watch how they handle themselves in this situation, and I'm going to follow their lead. Every one of us have been a disciple of someone. Scripture tells us, Jesus says to us, he says to his early followers in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, here's what he says to his early followers. One of the conversations he has with them before he leaves the planet, all right? He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make 
What is it? Disciples. People who are willing to learn to become more like Jesus. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you hang around Rich Fork for more than a year, you're going to hear this passage preached multiple times, and that's on purpose. Because this is our commissioning. This is our empowering. This is our equipping that Jesus says to the early followers, and I'm so glad that they paid attention, aren't you? I'm so glad that they found it valuable enough of a message to say, this is why we are here. This is what we've been given the task to do. And so last week when I asked you to think of one person, I was just replicating what Jesus already gave us, command. Who's the one person? Who are the people that God is leading you to make a disciple of Jesus? Someone who is learning to become more like Jesus. That was what Jesus' command was to his early followers. So you go and make disciples. You go and lead people to learn, to grow, to become more like Jesus. So at the end of the month, my hope is this. My hope is that everybody in here can define what a disciple is. That a disciple is someone who is learning to become more like Jesus. And the other thing is that you have an idea of what that means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to commit our lives to Jesus? Because undoubtedly in this room, there are probably some folks that go, well, this is how I would explain it, and this is how I would explain it. But collectively, as we march on through this year, as we give you guys some challenges, we want to stand behind this and know, hey, we're all pushing forward with the same idea, that we are called to make disciples, to lead people, someone that God has placed in our life to become more like Jesus. So we've developed an acronym for you. All right, I'm not a big acronym preacher, but we're going to use one this month. All right, and the acronym is this, it's grace. What are some habits of a disciple of Jesus? What, what are the habits of the, the, the daily occurrences of or a marker in their life that marks someone as a disciple of Jesus? So we're going to look at this in the acronym. We're going to look at five things this month. Give your life to Christ. We're going to see that in just a few moments today. Grace, the G, give your life to Christ. The next thing we're going to talk about is real time with God. How do I have real time with God? How do I act in obedience? What does it mean for me to love others, to submit my life to Jesus Christ, to be transformed by the gospel? What does it mean to commit to accountability? What does it mean to, to, to say, I'm, I'm going to do my best if I'm in town, if the snow's not coming down, I'm going to do my best to be a part of weekly worship. I'm going to do my best to be a part of relationships that are going to hold me accountable. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks and then engage your world. We believe that those who are saying, I am a disciple of Jesus, are willing to say, hey, by the grace of God, I am willing to share with the world, to engage the world that God has placed me in, to become a disciple, to serve others, to lead others, to grow in their faith. So what does it mean, and that first G there, what does it mean to give your life to Christ? Now I realize in this room, we got those of you who have grown up in church and those of you who are new to church. And so what I want to do is just kind of come right to the middle of that and try to give all of us an understanding of what does it mean to give your life to Christ? Because we say a lot of things in church that if we're careful, people, that those are new to church or those who are questioning what is church and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, they go, I'm not sure I know what that means. 
What does it mean to surrender my life to Jesus? What does it mean to trust in the grace of Jesus? What does it mean to believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? For some of us, that is something we know and we can define and we can talk through. For some others of us in the room, we may go, man, that's, yeah, I, I need to know. If I want to lead someone to become a disciple of Jesus, what does it mean for them to give their lives to Jesus? So I want us to look at a few things. What does it mean? What are some significant things when we give our lives to Jesus? First thing is, giving your life to Christ requires you, requires you to be honest and authentic. Jesus was all about authenticity in his teaching, confronting people that were not authentic, that were not really committed. And it requires us, if we want to give our lives to Christ, we have got to be authentic. We've got to be honest. And I love in the Gospel of John, and we're going to look in John chapter 3 in just a moment at a conversation that Jesus has with somebody. But in John chapter 2, we hear something that Jesus, that we hear proclaimed about Jesus. And I, I want to read this for you. John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25 says this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, Jesus, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. Now read this last phrase with me out loud. For he himself knew what was in man. Let's all try this time. For he himself knew what was in man. You see, Jesus had a crowd. He had those one miracles, he had the Pharisees, he had the religious, he had the onlookers. And the passive scripture just said, listen, Jesus doesn't need an explanation of what, who's got what and who's following him for what reason. Jesus knew what was in man. And here's what I want to say to us in this room this morning. I want you to find comfort in that. Don't be scared of that. I want you to find comfort in that. Here's, here's why. Because if you're on this end of the spectrum and you, maybe you grew up in church. You grew up in church and your mom and dad made you come to church and they made you go to Sunday school uh, and, and you got to college and you no longer were forced to go to church. So you disconnected from church. Now you've been away from church for a while and maybe you're married, maybe you're single, maybe you're in a career and all of a sudden you're going, man, I want my kids to be involved in church. I want something that I'm missing out on and you've had this gap. Because the reality is we, we had that part of the reason we had that gap is that at some point in our lives we were more committed to church than we were to Jesus. And so we didn't really learn how to love Jesus. We learned how to go to church and then you distance yourself. You said, oh man, I'm not real sure about this. I'm just going to check out of church. That may be you. you. You may be in this room this morning and you are very skeptical. You're skeptical of the lights. You're skeptical of the person raising their hands. You got a lot of questions. You, you got somebody in your life that, that you were very close to that claims they were a follower of Jesus and they hurt you deep inside your heart. And you're going, man, I, I just don't know. And then you've, we, we've got some. I, a, a lot of us in this room are going, man, I... It's clicking. I, I know that Jesus desires a relationship with me, and I know that I want to make disciples. We've got that spectrum in this room. And know this, Jesus knows what is in man. And he knows what's in this room. 
He knows what's in your heart this morning. And He knows if you're way over here. He knows if you've been distanced from Him. He knows if you're intimate with Him. He knows if you are skeptical and asking questions. He knows if you are moving towards Him and you're asking some questions about faith and someone is leading you and you're growing ever closer. And He knows what is in man. You see, I take comfort in that. Because where he spoke this passage of Scripture, he said he knew what was in the heart of man. And then he turns around and has a conversation with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he didn't want everybody to know. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a rule follower. He was the height of the religious people of the day. But right before that, we were reminded in Scripture that Jesus knows his heart as well. So he knows your heart. And so wherever you are in that spectrum of of giving your life to Christ, just know that He knows where you are. Just know that He knows what is in your heart. But what it then requires of you to give your life to Christ is honesty and authenticity. He already knows. Giving your life to Christ. Honesty with authenticity. So peel back the layers with us this morning, this month, wherever you are on that spectrum, and know that Jesus knows what's in your heart. Giving your life to Christ is going to require you to be honest and authentic. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're trying to lead someone to Jesus, realize what a huge statement that is. You're requiring somebody that you love, that you care for deeply, and you're, you're wanting them to come into an honest relationship with Jesus. Not a facade, not something fake, but something authentic and real that will grow as they learn to become more like Jesus. Another marker of what it is to be a grace-filled with a habit of giving your life to Jesus is giving your life to Christ requires you to trust in God. Giving your life to Christ requires you to trust in God. John 3.16 is such a familiar verse to us that gives us evidence of this, but trust is evidenced when a person turns over control of their life and gives it to Jesus. Turns over their lives and gives trust to Jesus. Again, one of the most important verses that we highlight in in church is John 3.16, and we should. But it comes in the middle of a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus at the beginning of John chapter 3. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The Pharisees were all about the rules. At some point, it's evident that Nicodemus had observed Jesus, wants to interact with Jesus. So he comes to him at night. He wants to know more. This man came to Jesus by night, verse 2, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, For no one else can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's a statement, correct? Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these unless God is with him. Jesus answered him. Notice Nicodemus didn't ask a question. He made a statement, but Nicodemus is answering what's at the heart of Nicodemus' thought. Jesus answered and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, let me, let me help you understand what that means there, truly, truly. It means listen up, turn your ears on. Parents, you ever said that? Turn your ears on, listen to me. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. 
And then Jesus says, what is, for Nicodemus, had to be one of the most mind-boggling comments that he'd ever heard in his life. Jesus, sa- Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa. So that's not just something churches put on the front of their church, right? Be born again. It's, it's a biblical statement from Jesus towards someone who is without a growing relationship to him, who's not committed to be his follower. He says, you've got to be born again. He says, listen, listen, listen. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust in what John 3, 16 through 18 says. Nicodemus, you've got to believe this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, whoever puts their trust in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn, to find them guilty, the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes, whoever trusts in him is not condemned, is not found guilty. But whoever does not believe, does not trust, is condemned, is found guilty already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Nicodemus, you were born once, as everybody in this room has been, physically brought into this world. But you must experience a spiritual birth. You must experience a new life spiritually where you say, I trust in, believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. I believe that he sent him so that I could have eternal life. I trust him that he did not come to condemn me, but to bring me freedom. I trust Jesus 100%. I give my life to Jesus. I've shared this with you guys before. I, I used to be a counselor at a camp uh, in my other lifetime, all right, 25-some years ago, and uh, enjoyed it. It was a great experience. Um, but every week, one of the things that we had to do um, and had the opportunity to do, we had, we had 10 to 16-year-old boys, depending on the week that we had and what age group we had. And, but every week, you had 8 to 10 young men that, that, that followed you all week long. And depending on their age, they really followed you all week long they wanted to do whatever you did go wherever you went and so one of the things that we would do at the end of the week kind of as a a mark of maturity and of growth is we went repelling if you've ever been repelling you know what that requires that requires one you've got to have a tall ledge all right uh this one was about 60 feet up in the air on the edge of the mountains out there in uh, montreat north carolina and we had all the equipment, and every week we would go out there. But at the beginning of the summer, all the counselors had to be trained. And so you would go, and they had these professionals there that would train us how to repel. And so you could talk about how nervous you were when you were around a bunch of camp counselors, right? But you know what you couldn't do when you had 8 to 10, 10-year-old boys behind you? Nerves of steel right here, okay? You had to step up. You had to put on the rope. You had to put on the harness, hold on to the rope, put it in correctly. Then you had to do something that is sheer craziness. You have to step off a perfectly good rock 
into the air of which you may or may not find anything there. Most likely, you don't, because you have to lean all the way back, hold on to this rope, you're almost uh, horizontal as you're leaning back, and you take this first big giant step. And in that moment, know this, everything of your entire life is in that rope. All your hope, all your future, all your past, everything is that threaded piece of material that is hooked to someone else and hooked to a tree that he says he's ready for you to come on down. And it requires one giant step. No matter if you had done that for your first time or you did it every week of the summer, there was a moment where you had to step back off that ledge and go, I'm going to trust that this stuff is going to do what it's supposed to do. When I speak of trusting in Jesus, when I speak of surrendering to Jesus, when I speak of giving your life to Jesus, it is exactly that. It is believing that everything that you hope for, everything that you've ever done, everything that you ever will do, everything that you'll ever be defined as, you put in your hope and the trust that Jesus Christ was buried and was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead and conquered sin and offered eternity for you and trust in you. And you wrap your arms around Jesus and you'll go, all right, let's go. Let's take the step. So know this, when we go to someone who doesn't know Christ and we say, would you like to give your life to Jesus? Realize at some point in the conversation, you're asking them to take a step off of a ledge of their life, of their background, of their previous thoughts about faith, of their previous thoughts about Jesus, of their hurt, of their pain. You're saying, hey, come on, trust me, put everything you got. And Jesus says, God so loved you that he came and he offered eternal life. He didn't come to find your guilt. He came to give you freedom. So take a step. Trust me. When we say we want to make disciples, we want someone to learn to become more like Jesus. Before they can learn more about Jesus, they've got to trust him. And there's going to be a moment where they've got to take a step. There's going to be a moment where you've got to, with confidence, and we've got to, with sincerity and authenticity, say, man, this is is a tough step. But I promise you it's on the other side. It's well worth it. I promise you it's not easy. But I can share with you the differences that are taking place in my daily life that have led me to be so thankful that I gave my life to Jesus that I trusted in God. Some of you need to take that step in this room this morning. Some of you are standing on the edge with questions, with doubts. And you're saying, man, I don't know. Can I just tell you that over the next couple weeks, you're going to hear from some folks, some testimonies and some stories of folks that are going to tell you, you can trust them. You can trust him today. You can trust him in this room. You can give your life to Jesus today. You can trust him. Give your life to Christ requires us to trust in God. It also requires confession and repentance. Giving your life to Christ Christ requires confession and repentance. What is confession? It's evidenced by a person admitting and repenting of sin. 
It's not a popular statement in today's culture. Confession and repentance. Uh, admitting that there's sinfulness. Admit it, admitting that I've broken a relationship with the Holy God, that I've committed sins, that there's been things that also I've been called to do that I didn't do, I rejected doing. I've sinned, and I confess. Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Romans 10.13, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a repetitive statement in Scripture, just so you know. In the New Testament, this was an ongoing, the beginning of the Gospels, we've got John speaking, repent and be saved. John gets taken off, Jesus steps in, Jesus repent and be saved. Jesus is crucified, buried, raised to life, ascends into heaven. The first preacher, Peter, he steps up and says what? Repent and be saved. This is a mark of following Jesus. And just know this, if you're thinking about trusting in Jesus or you're new in this relationship with Jesus, look around and know that everybody in this room is still on that path of repentance. Yes, I trusted in Christ and entered a relationship with him when I was eight years old, but now, 39 years later, there are moments in my life, some of them yesterday, that I'm asking for forgiveness. There's no amens on that. I'm just, just wondering if I'm alone in that. But anyway, confession, repentance, it's ongoing. Break the ice a little bit. It's lifelong. It's constant. It's confession. It's repentance. It allows us, as Scripture says, to cleanse us in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Giving your life to Christ, being a disciple, is not simply praying a prayer and stamping your ticket. It is saying, I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust in His Word. I'm going to trust that I need to confess of my sins. I'm going to trust that He's going to be faithful to forgive me. I'm going to trust that my life needs to line up with God's Word, not to restrict me, but to protect me, and I'm going to enter into a relationship with Him. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. It also is announced to others through baptism. I want to look at these last two really quickly. Baptism Evidenced by a person publicly celebrating their commitment by baptism. This is a statement of the New Testament. This is an example of Jesus. He did this, and Peter said to him, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We practice baptism today. Jesus practiced it. The New Testament taught it. It's a way for people to publicly acknowledge that they've trusted in Jesus. It's not simply a tradition. It's a practice that lets others know that we have given our lives to Jesus Christ. It is by far one of the most exciting things I get to be a part of. To stand with children, to stand with parents, to stand with adults, to stand with couples, to watch them step into the waters and acknowledge to you as a church they've trusted in Jesus, they've given their lives to Jesus, they've repented of their sins, and they would acknowledge that. The baptism. Giving your life to Christ also commits us to share with others. Proclaiming, evidenced by a person sharing their story with people in their community, in their relationships, in where God has placed you. Now, I want to do something. I did at the end of the service, last service, but we're going to mix it up here for just a minute, all right? Uh, this is a participation event, right? We can do this because we only had church twice today, all right? We get a little, little cheat here. We get a little extra time. So don't tell the preschool workers I said that, all right? Um, I want you 
every one of you are involved in some facet of life. Some of you are students, some of you are workers, and you, some of you are in the medical field, some of you are in a factory, some of you are teachers. So what I want you to do, I want you to turn to the people around you, okay? I know you don't know everybody, it's all right. Uh, I want you to turn to everybody around you, and I just want you to tell them what you do in life, all right? This, this is not an hour-long conversation. It's like 30 seconds. Ready? Tell them what you do in life. Ready? One, two, three, go. Some of you, some of you may have found a plumber or an electrician that you need around you. I don't know who all is around you. Here's here's why I had you do that. Just for a minute, I want you to know something. That in order for us to continue what the disciples did, the followers of Jesus did, in that year, in that moment, and those years to come through the life of Jesus, through the sacrifice of the disciples, here's what I want you to know. You have been placed with your career path, with your future, with your skills, your abilities, and every day you interact in all those different places, maybe once a week, maybe multiple times a week, you interact with people who desperately need to know Jesus that I will never, ever meet. Amen, bro. (laughs) Amen to the six-year-old back there. You are equipped. Hear that. You are a disciple. It's not what you are. What you are is a dentist. What you are is an accountant. What you are is a factory worker. What you are is a parent. What you are is a teacher. Who you are is a disciple. What you are is how God has equipped you and given you abilities and talents by which to do what you are called to do is who you are a disciple. That's who you are. And what you do allows you the opportunity to be a disciple maker. Some of your students in your room, you go, man, I don't, I don't have that skill yet. You're a student. You're around a lot of people who need Jesus every day. I go to Christian school. You are around a lot of people that need Jesus every day. I'm homeschooled. Your parent, no, I'm just kidding. You're, you're around a lot of people who need Jesus every single day. There's environments, there's relationships. You say, well, I'm retired. There's ways to volunteer. There's places for you to serve in capacities in this place. I, man, this morning, I was just blown away walking around this building all by myself, which was so cool, walking around and realizing um, that there was over 75 people for the first service alone that serve us that give us the opportunity to be more equipped to make disciples in this room. What they are is a very godly preschool leader. What they are is someone who's equipped to drive you. What they are is to to deliver you if something were to happen to you medically. What they are, who they are, is a disciple. Someone who is learning to become more like Jesus. So who is that person? Who is that person that you feel led 
to teach to become more like Jesus. For many of us in the room, you don't have to leave your house to start that conversation. For many of us in the room, you don't have to leave your office cubicle to start that conversation. Who are you and I going to teach to become more like Jesus? I'll tell you what, Pastor, I got three names that I'm going to give you for you to go visit. No, who are you going to lead to become more like Jesus? Well, Pastor, I got seven people that if you would lead a Bible study, they might come. Who are you feeling led to teach the truths of Jesus Christ? Well, Pastor, I got this guy at work, and he is really far from the Lord. Who are you going to be burdened by the fact that they need a relationship with Jesus and that you are going to make a disciple? Someone who is going to learn to become more like Jesus. It's every single one of our callings. It's every single one of ours commissioning as followers of Jesus. So there's our commissioning for us who follow Jesus. I want to just stop right here and just say, if this morning you've never trusted in Jesus, you've never given your life to Christ, you've you grabbed a hold of the rope, you've thought about taking the step, but you're just not quite sure, can I just encourage you this morning? We would love to take that step with you. See, what we want to do, we don't want you to take the step alone. We want to take that step off of that ledge into faith with you. And so the reason we have folks up front on Sunday mornings is not just because they're nice people. It's because they want to take that step of faith with you and would love to introduce you to Jesus. So please, with authenticity, give us the gracious, grateful opportunity to help you encounter Jesus today. Not just to lead him, to trust him, but to learn how to live for him and become a disciple.